Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome everybody to Podcast 23. Actually, this is the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cruz. We are live from the rooftops of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri. We're excited. Last podcast of the year. It's been an amazing year. We've got Joey Vosovich, our producer, in here. And today we've got a special guest, our expert real estate analyst, Nicholas Albright. New to our company, but not new to real estate by any means. Hi, Nick. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Adam. How are you doing? Good. Do you want to give us a little... Can you tell me... Just tell me a quick... Something about yourself. Um, Well, I started investing in real estate whenever I was... 22. Um, I'm new. Oh, wow. A, a new licensee um, as of a few months ago. Looks like the real estate market's doing really well. I've had three closings so far. Um, I'm glad to be here. You are absolutely our rookie of the year. Maybe our I, I shouldn't call you a rookie because that makes you seem unexperienced. You're, I mean, you're actually our like our most successful realtor we've ever had with you know within the short amount of time that you've been a realtor. You're you're killing it, Nick. I'm excited for you. And a little bit later on in the show, you're going to give us our market update and you're going to give us some statistics. And that's where the the expert analyst comes in, right? That is correct. I went on a listing appointment with Nick the other night, and he had the data, he had the details, he had the charts and the graphs. And he was ready to go. He knew all about every house that had sold in that neighborhood and and beyond. And I think he was well prepared to and and he impressed the seller. I'm going to do something weird today, uh, something I've never done on our podcast, but I'm actually going to read, you know, it's like a one pager from this book I've been reading. It's called U Squared, a high velocity formula for multiplying your personal effectiveness and quantum leaps. And the author is Price Pritchett, Ph.D., and uh, this is just kind of the opener to the book. And when I read it, I did what I do a lot of times when I'm reading a book, and I just I read about a page, and I my mind goes crazy. I get all these ideas, and I just have to get up and just start doing things. But in this case, I read this page or so, and I got up, and I just started making copies of the page and passing it out to our agents here, and I posted it on Facebook, and I was so excited about it. I think it's sort of metaphorical for where a lot of people are and their life and their business and their personal relationships, etc. So bear with me while I read this little story. And it says it's a true story. He says, I'm sitting in a quiet room at the Millcroft Inn, a peaceful little place hidden back amongst the pine trees about an hour out of Toronto. It's just past noon, late July, and I'm listening to the desperate sounds of a life or death struggle going on a few feet away. There's a small fly burning out the last of its short life's energies and a futile attempt to fly through the glass of the window pane. The whining wings tell the poignant story of the fly's strategy, try harder, but it's not working. The frenzied efforts offer no hope for survival. Ironically, the struggle is part of the trap. It is impossible for the fly to try hard enough to succeed at breaking through the glass. Nevertheless, this little insect has staked its life on reaching its goal through raw effort and determination. The fly is doomed and it will die there on the windowsill. Across the room, ten steps away, the door is open. Ten seconds of flying time, and this small creature could reach the outside world it seeks. With only a fraction of the effort now being wasted, it could be free of this self-imposed trap. The breakthrough possibility is there. It would be so easy. Why doesn't the fly try another approach? Something dramatically different. How did it get so locked in on the idea that this particular route and determined effort offer the most promise for success? What logic is there in continuing until death to seek a breakthrough with, quote, more of the same? 
No doubt this approach makes sense to the fly. Regrettably, it's, it's an idea that will kill. Trying harder isn't necessarily the solution to achieving more. It may not offer any real promise for getting what you want out of life. Sometimes, in fact, it's a big part of the problem. If you stake your hopes for a breakthrough on trying harder than ever, you may kill your chances for success. And again, that's by Price Pritchett. So I, I wanted to share that story. That's the end of the story. I like to share that story because a lot of time that's what people are doing. They're just like trying the same thing over and over and over again, and they're not finding success. And I think that's with realtors too. And they need to take a second to say, you know, reevaluate, take a step back, look at the big picture. What am I doing? What's working? What's not working? How can I reevaluate? What can I do differently? And over the years, I've seen so many realtors who don't ever take the chance or the, take the time to acknowledge that maybe they've got to change what they're doing if they want to find success or if they want to stop getting complaints or if they want to start getting more business or or if they want to stop being so frustrated or whatever. So I love that story because I think it's something that can apply to everyone most likely and any different aspects of their life. I recommend this book. It's called You Squared by Price Pritchett. Next up, I was going to get on my high horse again. This is this is the podcast of the high horse today, I think. I, you know, it's the holidays and I just wanted agents or business people, people that own their own company, people that are in sales, people that are trying to network, heck, people that are wanting more friends or people that are single and wanting to, you know, meet a a significant other. I I always say go to the party and that's my saying that represents get out there, be involved. Was it Woody Allen? Nick, do you remember? Have you ever heard this saying? No, I've never heard this saying before. It's it's something that's like the first step to success is showing up when you're, when you're tired and you want to go home and put on your sweatpants, uh, when it's raining and you want to just be at home sitting by the fire, don't do it. Get out. You know, if your friends are inviting you to a party, go to it. If there's a networking thing you know you should go to, go to it. If there's a class about a topic you're interested, go to it. I've talked to an agent recently in the last couple of months that was getting frustrated because she kept seeing her friends on Facebook using other realtors. And she's like, why isn't my friend using me as their realtor? And I asked and I say, when is the last time you went to a party that your friend invited you to? And she's like, well, it's hard. I'm busy. I got things going on, you know. I always say that if I were to go home and go to sleep, I know what's going to happen in that situation. Whereas if I choose to go out wherever it may be, there's no telling who I can meet or what could come of that. Exactly. I like that. That's good. Uh, my buddy Tim is a kind of a country boy. He's a hunter, and he's like, I've never killed a deer from my bed. <laughs> he always says yeah. that. I've never killed a deer from my bed. It's like, Tim, what are you talking about? It's like, you got to get up. You got to go out if you want to get a deer. And so you were saying, Nick, that you might start hanging out at some certain kind of like areas of town where you wanted to meet more clients. Yep. I went to a wine bar called Vindicet recently the other day and just noticed that the clientele was um, seemed to be of an upper class. And I just figured if I were to go there, hang out, eventually I would meet some people that would help me in this business. Instead of going home and having a drink and putting your feet up and Netflix and chilling or whatever you want to call it, right? If you ask yourself why you're not successful, I want you to look in and say, when's the last time I went out of my way to give people my time? You know, Or when's the last time I went out of my way to go somewhere new and kind of get out of my comfort zone? All right, so I want to talk a little bit about 2016's coming up. Everyone's been posting all over Facebook about these these articles about how 2016 is supposed to be this amazing year for real estate. Did you see that? I think you posted that article yeah, too, right? Yeah, on Realtor.com, it's supposed to be the second top market in the country. For St. Louis. San Diego is number three. Um, yeah, and St. Louis is supposed to be number two. And what does that mean? Like, 
there's going to be tons of sales or just prices are going to increase? Job growth um, will increase the realtor business and the pricing and everything. For me, 2015 was a, a very successful year. I've talked on this podcast about some of the deals I've done, some of the wholesale deals I've done, some of the flips I've done, You know, a lot of the different real estate deals I've done. It, it was a really good year. We sold a lot of homes and you know, I'm kind of wondering... Am I going to be good enough to do this again? Is is it really possible that I can have a year as good as this one? And a lot of people set their goal to say, I want next year to be double this year. You know, you're sitting here, Nick, let me ask you, like, do you have a plan on how you're going to get your fair share next year? And not that you have to share your whole plan, but my goal is just to try being new to this um, business as far as actually being a licensee. My goal is to try and find um, what works for me. I hear there's a million different ways to market yourself. Um, so my goal is just to find a couple ways that I'm really good at. I feel like I'm starting um, fresh and I'm excited for this year. Yeah, and and you know, I think 2016 will be a great year for you. And I, I know, I mean, I know it will be a great year for you. I'm, I think it will be a good, a great year for me. I think kind of my attitude about, I don't know if it's going to be good enough is what sort of drives me to keep working type of thing. But being in real estate is a, is a weird business and being in sales, I guess, in general, where by me living by the philosophy of always going to the party, it's just leads it to where I just kind of get random phone calls from people that want to buy and sell real estate. And Nick, I know you're coming on two appointments with me tonight. Those are two people that, you know, interacted with me at one point. One of them's a fraternity brother. One of them's someone that I called when I was just kind of cold calling the neighborhood here, Mm -hmm. like probably a year ago. Like kind of randomly, they both called and wanted to meet on the same night. And so I hope that we just continue to get more of those calls. Mm -hmm. If you are not a realtor listening to this and you are someone who has real estate needs, give us a call, right? Hey, Absolutely. All you have, all you have to do is ask. It's exciting to think that 2016 could be good enough. Uh, my philosophy is to always try to live below my means. I think that might be partly because when I got into this business was kind of right in around the what everyone calls the crash, mm-hmm. and so I saw all these successful real estate investors and realtors who were, I guess, they were spending every dollar they were making, and they had two Mercedes in the garage and they had just bought a lake house and they had just bought another property and they had just bought their wife a big diamond and a fur coat or whatever. And then the crash happened and I saw a lot of people go through some really hard times. And so I'm actually really thankful that that, I guess, was the time that I got into the business because it's caused me to, I say, live below my means, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I hope for 2016 to be a great year. I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, I wanted to say why aren't discounters winning? And when I say discounters, I mean... There's always a realtor out there who's willing to charge a smaller commission. There's some companies that base their entire business model on charging literally no commission. You know, There's been some local real estate firms that are trying to charge or you know create a commission split with their agents that's incredibly uh, cheap i guess you can call it you know it's mm-hmm. like what i call a race to the bottom you know why aren't these discounters winning i i was actually a discounter a long time ago when i first got into the business i guess in like 2005 or so i worked at a company that we would list homes for like $300 on the mls plus you had to pay the normal buyers agent commission but and when i was doing that i thought this model is going to take over. Why would anyone ever pay a realtor a normal commission? And so I like to just sort of evaluate that every once in a while because I'm like, why aren't the discounters winning? And why are the why are the companies that are charging um, 
probably even a higher commission than what I charge. Why are they doing so well? And I think that it comes down to probably the same reason people still shop at Nordstrom versus just going to Marshalls, right? Or just going to Kmart. Kmart went out of business, I think, or is going out of business. And Nordstrom's opening more stores. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that it's an agent with a plan and a proven process Someone that has good communication and they're honest and they're trustworthy, it's they're worth the money. And so I have a listing right now where, you know, my client is a seller and he feels comfortable, I guess, to call me often and ask me questions about how he should handle the updates that he wants to make in his house and the kind of the work that needs to be done. And when I came over there before we listed it and we made this huge plan about all the different things he was going to do to update the property, I guess he found that advice to be worth paying for. I know that it's, there's not a whole lot to say about that, but I just like think it's interesting. Well, I actually, I was watching a video on, it was a TED Talks the other day about a guy, I think he was in London, and he was speaking about, um, just in general, you mentioned Nordstrom, the clothes. Uh -huh. um, he said he paid for the most expensive pair of jeans he ever bought the other day, and it was 400 or $500. It was crazy, but it was guaranteed for life, and the company would always replace those jeans oh wow and he just talked about how quality sometimes is worth that extra price because he knows he'll never have to get a new pair of jeans um i think it, it relates to that a little bit you know the quality of of a good partner or good advice is worth paying for yeah there's something interesting going on and there's a company in town right now that is charging their agents almost nothing you know it's like come and work here close a house throw us a shiny nickel and a hug and we're good and it's interesting that they are growing a little bit but most of the people that seem to be joining that company are agents who are not successful. The agents who are successful right now, who are making the companies that they work for a decent amount of money, those agents are staying loyal to their brokerages, you know, or they're staying working at those kind of traditional companies. And the agents who are not finding success and are not <laughs> selling houses and not helping clients, I guess maybe what they're doing is they're looking outside of themselves and saying, what is what's wrong here and they're just switching companies the kind of the the discount real estate company in town right now is growing but i don't know how successful they are because they don't have a lot of agents that are doing a lot of business so okay we're going to jump into water woes so i think the rain has the rain finally stopped i hope so do you have any idea how many inches of rain we got no i heard i think in some areas up to 11 11 uh -huh. inches of rain in spot yeah spot and, okay and so we're having a lot of people are having water woes, right? We're having listings that are calling us saying they have water in their basement. They've never had water in 15 years. We have buyers that are calling us and saying that they have water in their basement, you know, the house that they bought within the last few months. We have buyers that we're representing that haven't closed on a house yet. And the seller is either saying that there's some water in their basement now or we are concerned that there's going to be water in the basement. And you had a water woe. Nick, are you willing to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a property we closed on actually just a few weeks ago in which the seller um, signed the contract stating that they had made all the necessary repairs um, for the sump pit. Sump pit. Yes, to make sure all the water would be pumped out just in case. Um, they said that there hadn't been water in there in 10 years, but with this rain, um, there happened to be water in there that didn't get pumped out. The first step, I think, is to fix the problem. I've already notified the agent, and uh, we'll be going from there. They they said they would fix the sump pump and the sump pit, and you're saying they didn't? Uh, yeah, they must not have fixed it properly, at least. Done whatever it took, and now that it's raining, your client called you and they said there's water in our basement? Yep, exactly. Is it a finished basement? Partially. I told them to take pictures of everything, just to document everything that's happened. Good. And... 
you know, it's partially finished. It looks like we'll hopefully get away. Just the floors might need to be picked up and there are the rubber pieces. So it shouldn't be such a big problem, but it's still an issue. So it's tough. You know, this is this is a delicate situation that you're in and a lot of the other types of calls that we're getting and stuff that I'm reading about. You know, I think as realtors, we have to handle it very delicately. You know, we're not attorneys. I am not an attorney. I'm not even a paid spokesperson for an attorney. You know, who's who's at fault here, right? Can we blame uh, Mother Nature for all the rain? Can we blame the seller for not having fixed a problem, whether they knew about it or not? Can we blame the inspector for not having found it? You know, can we be to blame for not having found the problem? You know, so I guess every case is different. In your case, it sounds like you're going to try to go back to the seller and say, well, your case is a little bit different because the seller was supposed to fix something and they didn't. Exactly. So it's more concrete, right? Exactly. We've had another case where uh, a buyer's basement was leaking and they're saying, well, the seller didn't disclose that the basement leaks. And I'm saying, well, this is a little bit of a questionable situation because did the seller know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard that this was like the largest rain, one of the three largest rains in St. Louis history, Ever, you know? Yeah. So it could have rained four inches three years ago and their basement might not have leaked, right? Mm -hmm. And so the buyer or somebody might have to try to prove that the seller knew about the problem and didn't disclose it. It actually came out, I think, that in that particular case, that on the buyer's inspection, the inspector said, hey, there's a crack and you might need to get this thing filled with epoxy. And the buyer just sort of ignored that, I guess. And now they're paying the price for Mm -hmm. it, you know, and there's a finished basement and all that kind of stuff. So the water woes are causing some problems. I do have, I have a listing that, like I just mentioned, the seller called me and he said, hey, there is some water coming into our basement. This has never happened. I've owned this home for 15 years. We've literally never had water before. And so we are doing the right thing. It feels good to do the right thing. We He contacted a crack repair company to come out and give him a bid and an estimate on repairing the crack. We contacted the agent who's representing the buyer and we disclosed to them what's going on. And we got their approval for the type of fix and solution that we're going to do. And so, you know, like I said, I think that some sellers in that instance would just try to kind of hide the problem uh, or some realtors might want to avoid a problem. One of the things that we preach at Herman London is a saying I learned a long time ago when I was an accountant to put the moose on the table. <laughs> and, and the other one is eat your frog, right? And so it's like, Hey, there's a problem. Let's talk about it right now. And so that's what I did. I said, Hey, there's a problem to the buyer's agent. This is what's going on. Here's the solution that we're proposing to fix it. This is what we want to do. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Instead of having my seller just fix it, get a big heater and dehumidifier over there and just cross our fingers that at the final walkthrough, the buyer doesn't notice, you know, and then cross our fingers that we don't have a rain like this within the next couple of years. And they come back and try to prove that we knew about it or something like that. You know, it's much better to do the right thing up front and uh, take care of the problem and make sure that everyone's going well. Realtors, if you're listening, you just got your bill from the St. Louis Association of Realtors. Or if you're somewhere else in Missouri, you got your bill from your local association. If you are not wanting to pay that bill, if you are not wanting to continue to be a realtor, but you would still like to be a licensed real estate agent, we at Herman London, we have a separate company. It's just called Herman London Referral Agents. We will hold your real estate license uh, for non-active agents. You can still uh, refer business into us. You can still receive a commission 
but you will not be a real tour. So you won't have access to the MLS. You won't have access to a super key. You won't have access to all the forms. But if you want to keep your license and maybe get back into the business at some point down the road, contact me, Adam at HermanLondon.com, and I'll give you more details about putting your license on referral. I hate to see somebody who works so hard on getting their real estate license, taking the classes, taking the tests, all that stuff, just give it up because they can't afford their dues this year. I know the bills come at kind of an odd time of year. They come two two weeks before Christmas or something like that. It's like, hey, you owe us close to $1,000. So just give us a call or send me an email. I just want to say to someone who's listening that is considering selling their house, I want to say to you, have us over right now. If you're thinking, hey, I'm going to sell my house in the spring, uh, you know, I know that's a when everyone lists their house, that's a good time of the year, all that kind of stuff. First of all, Nick, maybe you'll give us some updates about this whole spring thing here in a second. But if you're considering listing your house in the spring, I want to encourage you to have a Herman London realtor over to your house so we can walk through it. We can make a plan. We can give you suggestions on what you need to do to get the house ready so it shows itself the best when we have buyers walking through. Some of the projects might take a little bit of time, so have us over now so that we can give you any advice. We can start doing our pre-marketing and we can make it so that when you do, when you are ready to list your house in the spring or real early spring, it's kind of the best time to do it, then you'll be totally ready and you don't have to just get our advice then and work on the house for a couple more weeks. So I'm call my little campaign, have us over. Give, me, give us a call, 314 314- 802-0797. If you're considering selling your house in the spring, you know, it doesn't cost anything for us to come over and give you our advice. That's kind of part of the benefit of working with the realtor. Any realtor will say that they'll give you a free CMA and tell you what they think your home is worth. And we'll do that also, but we'll also come over and give you advice on what to do to make the home kind of put its best foot forward. All right. So Nick, yes, I'm looking across the table at you. I'm seeing a lot of charts, graphs, statistics. I know you like data. Just start throwing some numbers at me. What's going on in the real estate market? Well, it looks like um, over the past you know, four years or so, active listings um, are down about 4,000. They must not be sitting on the market as long. From so, I was just going to ask, how many homes are on the market now in general? Um, about 25,000. 25,000 homes in the St. Louis area are listed currently? Yes. I can remember when that was 30,000, but you're saying four years ago it was... Four years ago it was 28,000. I noticed on your chart there, there's like a big drop. When was that? From 2011 to 2015. A big one, I would say from 2012 to 2013, there's about a 2,000 home drop as far as active listings. Okay. And so now we're down 4,000. Yes. 25,000 still seems like a lot of homes on the market. Yeah. Yeah. St. Louis County area, I'd agree. Okay, so that I think that this is for the MLS, which includes Jefferson County, St. Louis County, St. Charles County, Gasconade County, Franklin County. Maris, our MLS, keeps growing and growing and growing. So 25,000 might seem like a lot, but I guess when you're if you're looking to live in a certain area, it's not necessarily that big of a number. What else do you have for me? The expired listings is actually down 6,000 from 2011. Um, we're down to about 5,500 currently. That means that less homes are expiring Yes. In, in theory, that means that more homes are selling. Exactly. So if you, they're not, yeah, they aren't sitting till the end of their contract with their current realtor, so they would have to be selling. So the chance, if you list your house now, the chance of it actually selling, or I guess the chance of it not expiring, is higher. Exactly. So, so selling within the listing period. Okay, that's good. Pending sales um, is actually up to about fourteen thousand five hundred. That's up about 3000 since 2011. So the homes under contract is up greatly. So part of the reason that there's less homes on the market, that first statistic you gave us, it sounds like it's because kind of more homes, are, are they selling faster, I guess? Or at least within the time frame that the owners... Okay, and that for. definitely 
kind of applies to what I saw this year in 2015, where our goal, our company goal was always, we want 100 listings, we want 100 listings. And I'm like, and we're, we're kind of sitting around 50 listings. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, we're not hitting our goal. But then I'm like, but that's not necessarily bad because we're no. selling the houses, right. which is our obviously our real goal. Yeah. Okay, what else? With selling the homes, the closed sales is up about 2,750 from 2011. It's up to about 14,000. Oh, wow. So 14,000 homes sold in 2015? Yes. Okay. The average list price um, since 2012 has actually gone up $50,000. Um, it currently sits around 275000 well, that's that statistic is skewed because you listed your own personal residence for a hundred million. Is that correct? You know it. Okay. So, but you're saying the average home price is way up? Yes. By fifty thousand dollars? Yep. Since two thousand twelve. Okay. You know that that's little side note. I saw some friends this weekend that I just helped buy them a house. I think it was about a year ago now, and they're like, "We're ready to list our house mm-hmm. because they bought in the. I think they paid around four twenty, and they're getting letters in the mail now from realtors like." We want to list your house. There's like nothing for sale in your neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. I think they were only half kidding, actually, that they want to list their house now for in the 500-ish range, mm-hmm. 520 maybe. And they're like, if we can make $75,000 in a year, we'd be quite happy Why with not? that. And I'm yeah. like, I think we might be able to do it, especially <laughs> yep. now with the statistics that you're giving me that the numbers are up so high. Yep. Okay. And the same, um, it goes hand in hand with the sold price. The sold price is up about fifty thousand dollars as well. Oh, so the first number was the list. The price. listing price, yeah. Okay. Sold price is up also. Okay, cool. Um, what else do you have? The last thing I was gonna, when you were mentioning listing in spring, and maybe that's a good time to contact us now. The pending sales from December this time of year, that's normally around mid eight hundreds. Um, in springtime, the sales go up to twelve hundred, fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred. Um, in the springtime. So it is a good time to contact us to get prepared for the spring. Yeah, you know, the whole spring thing is interesting because a lot of sellers ask, should I wait till the spring to list my house? And I feel like I can answer that in two ways. You know, if you want to list your house in the winter, you'll have less competition. There's, you know, just like you said, there's what, 800 versus 1400 or something? Exactly. There, you'll have less competition, but there's also less buyers. And so, but if you want to wait till the spring, there'll be more buyers, which is kind of what I think the sellers are looking for, Mm -hmm. but they're maybe not considering that they'll have more competition too. So instead of being the only house on your block for sale, you might have three other people on your street. The only thing I would say with that is percentages wise, it is pretty similar, um, but the percentage of sales according to listings, um, it does go up a little bit better in the spring. It does. It does. So you're saying that the chances of your home selling are higher in the spring? Percentage-wise, yes. Okay. What What are those percentages? Um, it looks like with the pending sales in December of 875 to April about 1400, it's about, I'd say, 75%, where the new listings in December are 900. The new listings in April is 2,300. So that is, it's a little, the percentages are a little bit less. What month of the year has the least amount of sales? January. January. Okay. January has the least sales. The most is right. It's very close between May and June. All right. So I should go to Hawaii for all of January. Sounds good. Just come back from May and start picking up checks. As long as I can come. Yep. 
<laughs> Absolutely, you can come. People like to hear the numbers, you know, and so we want every single different personality type on our podcast to feel like they're getting uh, some value out of it. Lastly, I want to hop right back on to my high horse and pontificate for a second about business planning. Uh, you know, a lot of people have kind of done their business planning for 2016 already. Uh, our company, you know, we do our business planning retreat in January. We have an awesome speaker this year. Actually, I'm really excited. Mary Couch from HR, etc. is going to come and kind of run the event. But so we call it business planning. I call it like it's business planning slash goal setting slash motivational slash like state of the union. It's kind of, you know, it's an all day thing. It's, it covers a lot. Business planning is important. Uh, my friend says, if you monitor and measure what matters, what matters always improves. The thing that I see with a lot of realtors. And so if you're a realtor listening, I want to remind you, take a look in the mirror. You are a business. A lot of realtors look at themselves like, I guess, like an employee or something. And if you're a realtor, you literally have opened up your own real estate business. And I'm talking to you, Nick, because you're sitting right here. Not that you're not doing this or whatever, but mm-hmm. you're just sitting here. So you are your own business, Nick. And if you want to be successful, you have to invest in your own business. I think it's unbelievable to me that a lot of people get in real estate and they don't actually invest in their own business. I mean, they might invest time through sitting on Facebook all day or maybe even going to the parties that I'm encouraging them to go to. But you never see anybody who opens his own hot dog stand or his own shoe store or his own graphic design company or whatever, and they don't do any sort of investment in it at all. So I think it's important for realtors to think of themselves as a business and make a budget. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily have a budget. They don't have a marketing plan. They don't necessarily know who plays what role. You know, I don't understand why a realtor wouldn't have organizational charts. You know, a realtor might think, well, I'm the only one in my business, so I just have to do everything. But it's nice for you to define those roles. So as you grow, you can know what the roles are and how you can take yourself out of one of the roles, marketing, for example, and put someone else into that role. Or, you know, who's in charge of mailing out the Christmas cards every year? Right now, Nick, it's you, right? But eventually... You might have somebody else do that kind of stuff, you know? So if you're a realtor, if you're a salesperson, if you own your own business, make a plan, set some goals, figure out some statistics. As my new favorite TV show is called The Profit. It's on CNBC, P-R-O-F-I-T. It's this guy who goes into businesses and helps them out. But he always says, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. And so they make a plan. They kind of set, establish a process. And then he wants his people to follow it. And the biggest problem that it, one of the biggest problems he kind of encounters is people that don't trust the process. They don't follow the plan and they pull audibles all the time and think they have to do something different. So, well, thanks, Nick, for coming on the show today. I know that, you know, being a guest on a podcast that you had never listened to is kind of a weird thing, especially when I just pulled you in. It was, I'm glad that you already had your statistics and data ready because you are the man. Um, but, I wanted you to be able to give your personal information out here. Or how, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you can contact me at nick at hermanlondon.com. It's two N's on Herman. Um, you can reach me at 314-359-3223. You can also follow me on Twitter and look me up on Facebook um, at Nick J. Albright. Um, and thank you for having me, Adam. Um, I had a great time. So your Twitter is N-I-C-K, the letter J, and then Albright is A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T? Yes, sir. Okay, is now is that a business Twitter or is there kind of what you do on the weekends? On it is, no, I, I keep everything professional. <laughs> okay, good. All right, well, thanks again, Nick, and I'm glad you came on the show. Thank you. If you listeners out there have any questions, please email us, podcast at hermanlondon.com. If you have any comments, uh, subjects that you'd like us to cover, let us know. 
we are always looking for new interesting people to interview as part of the podcast as well so just get in touch with us podcast at hermanlondon.com and we're looking forward to a successful year and we're looking forward to growing this podcast and and to be as kind of informative and um, valuable to you as possible up next we're going to do our mortgage minute with john charlton from gsf and he's going to give us some updates so i'm going to go grab john and we are back. We got John Charlton here. He is our office lender. He's with GSF Mortgage. Is that what it's called? That's correct. And, you know, buying real estate is great, but you need money to do that, right? And so most people don't just have a couple hundred thousand cash sitting around, so they got to call John. And I like John. Thank you for coming in today, by the way. Oh, no worries. Well, we can reintroduce you, even though you've been on the show a few times. I've been in the mortgage industry for about 10 years. I'm working for GSF Mortgage for the last year. You know, specialize in residential home loans, do pretty much any type of loan you can imagine as far as that goes, VA, FHA, USDA, um, first-time home buyer programs as well. And you're so, a hurler? I'm a hurler. Play some, some Irish hurling. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, we're, we're calling it the John Charlton Mortgage Minute. Uh, you know, you don't have to keep it to just a minute, but just kind of give us the update. We like to know where the market, mortgage market stands. It seems like it changes all the time. It does. In general, you know, interest rates have been really good for the last few years, um, but that's really been an indication of kind of a poor economy overall. So I was going to say first and foremost, the biggest question I've been getting here in the month of December is that the Federal Reserve raised the Fed funds rate. And what does that mean for interest rates in the future? Well, the reality is, is that means that they believe the economy is doing better. House prices should be going up. Interest rates along with house prices will be going up. But in the short term, it's still a great time to buy. Probably couldn't be a better time to buy. Housing surplus is still there in a lot of areas. Um, but you'll see those start to dwindle. And, and when they do, then prices are going to go higher, probably rates along with them. You know, I always, I always ask you this question, like, Hey, what are the rates? What are the rates? People probably ask you that all the time. Mm-hmm. I know it's sort of like, well, Adam, I'd like to tell you the rates. Please tell me your credit score and your you know, current income and all that kind of stuff. But sure. is there a general kind of answer that you give? What are the rates? I mean, the general answer I give is the rates are great. I mean, okay. ultimately, what getting a mortgage is about is getting the best financing possible with your situation. Um, and, you know, historically, the interest rate environment right now is still historically low, um, meaning that a home is more affordable now um, to buy. And in a lot of cases, it's more affordable to buy even versus renting. I think the rent year over year in St. Louis Metro is like 6% higher. You know, home prices are about three and a half. So long story short is, is that basically it's a great time to buy. Um, and if you contact me, I'll make sure to get you the best mortgage available to you. Um, and if you're looking for a specific number, I mean, you knew you know, I was you, just about to. Ask you could say, you know, 30-year interest rates are a little over four percent. Okay, um, we're in the fours now. Yeah, this is stuff that you could look up on like a bankrate.com or something like that if you want to kind of get an idea of where rates are at. But you know, the bigger issue is just you know understanding that it's more affordable now to buy than to to rent a home, and, and in a lot of cases, cheaper even in a month-to-month basis. You know, if you do an MHDC loan or a first-time home buyer loan, a lot of times you can get in, you know, for more than what you would pay as far as a first and last, on, you know, if you were going to go lease a property. I mean, I know it's beautiful. I just bought a duplex with my brother and it was one unit's vacant, one unit's occupied. And the unit that's occupied, their rent is almost equivalent to our mortgage. Yeah. So, it's, so it makes sense for investment purposes. It makes sense for, you know, 
owner occupants certainly no reason not to buy a house right now and you can and, give someone a loan so they could buy a duplex and live in one half and rent out the other right yeah that's actually i tell that story all the time that if i had it to do over again knowing what i know about residential home loans and whatnot you know if i was a first-time home buyer i would absolutely have bought a duplex or even a fourplex um, because you do have the income generation that comes from that along with a place to live, added bonus. What's the, what's the down payment requirement on a duplex if I'm going to live there? If you're going to live there, it's pretty much the same as a single-family residence. The only difference is, is that you might have to have some residual reserves you know, for making the payment if, if your tenant were to move out is the idea. So usually they require you know, either three to six months reserves for the mortgage payments. Okay. I'm on a duplex on a four unit or, you know, I mean, really four units as much as you can do with a residential home loan. Um, then they're going to be looking more like a six month reserve, you know, in case the catastrophic thing happens and everybody moves out at once. Okay. I want to throw a curveball at you. Go for it. I know that the mortgage market changes all the time, all the time. There's every time we talk, there's a different product, right? There's a different thing they came up with to help people. Do you remember, you know, right now there's the 203K loan that people can get if they want to rehab a property? Yeah, definitely still there. Okay, what about the sweat equity loan? Do you remember that? Have you ever heard so of that? So a sweat equity loan is just an, another name for what's called the streamlined 203K. Um, what that means is basically a traditional full 203K, you have to hire a contractor to do all the work. Commonly, a, what's called a streamlined 203K or a sweat equity loan is basically they're going to give you money to do things like painting, um, stuff that's going to add some value to the home, but not necessarily a full renovation or anything like that. But, so it's limited to a certain dollar amount? It is. Yeah. And I think in most areas, it's like 26000 So if you're going to do less than $26,000 worth of work, you can do the streamlined version of the 203K. But keep in mind that, you know, it may be that you're not going to do all the work yourself. The main thing is that you just don't have to have one contractor do all the work. So people that are doing the streamline, they may be getting flooring done. They may hire a flooring company to do that. They may also have included money for cabinets and paint, and they may have to you know, get their own people to do those, those jobs. The key thing, though, is that you don't have to hire a general contractor, which means in a lot of cases you're not paying you know, extra overhead just for a you know, general contractor to handle the job. Yeah, I mean, this came up in conversation recently. I was teaching a little class on investing in real estate to some people, and that you know the whole idea of the 203k loan is great but it's like no but i'm handy right i don't want to hire some guy to come and paint my house at 75 dollars an hour or 30 dollars sure. an hour i can do that right so and that's i mean the streamline is. so and and here's so some caveats there though right so if you let's say that you you know you wanted to do a 203k you're handy you can do all the work yourself you're still going to get a bid from a contractor for that work. And here's the extra thing that, I, that you need to know is that if you don't spend the money, the money just goes towards the loan. So if you're handy and let's say that you had a bid for $20,000, you're able to do it for ten. That doesn't mean you get to pocket $10,000 and walk away. You Basically, any money that's left over that was there to fund projects for the 203K would just be applied as a principal reduction to the mortgage and because either way, whether it's streamlined or regular, they don't just go, hey, John, here's, or hey, Adam, here's $20,000 cash. Spend it on your contractor if you want. Right. They, exactly. they come and pay as the work's done, typically. Correct. Thing, right? Yeah, they, they monitor the work, and basically, you have to send in the invoices if you had invoices. And, you know, the bank handles it. But the idea with the 203K in general is, is there's a lot of properties out there that are great properties, but they're one offs or two offs. 
you know, somebody goes, looks at a property and they're like, well, we really like it, but we can't stand the kitchen or we can't stand the bathroom or it's just outdated or whatever. This gives you an, an opportunity to actually have the money to put into the home to kind of get it the way you want it. And that's, that's really the idea. John, I had someone email me today and she said that she, you know, she called a lender, I guess she called her bank or something like that. And she said that her, she told them, I want my monthly payment to be somewhere between seven hundred and eight hundred dollars, and they said that that would be a purchase price of around a hundred to one hundred and ten thousand dollars, and that is amazing to me. That you know, I I bet that she's paying more than that in rent right now. Yeah, and think about what you know in in our city, what a hundred ten thousand dollars will buy. It'll buy a nice starter home, really. A nice starter home. Yeah. Is it still for every hundred dollars extra per month? you get about $15,000 more in purchase price? Well, I mean, again, that's going to depend on the area. It's going to depend on other things. When somebody's figuring out a you know, mortgage payment, they're taking into consideration how much the insurance is going to be, how much the taxes, taxes are. So like if you're buying in the city of St. Louis, I think you could do a pretty, that's probably pretty accurate. Just in um, general, right? Yeah, in it's general. It's about $100 per 15000 or so. Yeah. So I always tell people, you know, what my loans are. Um, so like on my on my rental property, my interest rate's at four percent. I think I owe one hundred twenty thousand dollars on it. Mm-hmm. My payment on that's about eight hundred bucks a month. Beautiful. You know, on my on my primary residence, my mortgage is about two hundred thousand. Um, you know, I it's in the county. You know, my mortgage payment's about you know fifteen hundred dollars a month. So, you know, those are. You know, and Wait, you, and what's good about that is is that you got a county example and you got a city example. So my my Your taxes are a lot, a lot higher here. A little bit higher. I mean, I think it's about thirty six hundred dollars for my home in Maplewood. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is a lot more than the eight hundred or so I'm paying on my my house in the city. Wow, tax wise. Okay, yeah. so that's what affected that monthly payment so much because yeah, it seemed big, like the difference. It's not a huge eighty thousand dollar difference. You know, mortgage payments almost double though, but. But I mean, and, and the interest rate on my property in in the county is at four percent too. So they're the same interest rate, just kind of a little bit different areas, you know, and and obviously different tax bases. Okay, beautiful. Joey's given me the the wrap it up symbol here, so we're gonna wrap it up. Okay. Thank you very much. How can we get a hold of you? Yeah, best way to get a hold of me is probably just to give me a call. My direct line is three one four five one seven zero two six two. Um, and I also do need to mention that my uh, NMLS ID is one eight eight nine one zero. Okay, great. Well, thank you for coming. Take cool. care, everyone, and we will see you on the next podcast.